Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Yeah, Paul, Hebrews, we, we, most people, I think, accept that he, uh, the book of Hebrews was written by Paul, but we know who it was written to. It was written to the Jews of the time. And uh, he's basically going through the whole Old Testament and saying, I know this is what it was like, but this is what it was pointing to. And I'm about to show you how it was all pointing to Jesus and how it was all fulfilled in him. So that's the book of Hebrews in one sentence. Um, And so he says, long ago, in many times, this is his introduction, in many ways, uh, basically the Old Testament, because he says the prophets, uh, and um, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he's saying, this is, this is how it was, long ago and many times in many ways, but now. So then, that was then, but this, this is now. There's one way that he speaks, and that's through Jesus. So Paul is putting it very clearly here. Then, in many ways, through all the prophets, but now, one way, and through Jesus. This is how God speaks to us, through Jesus. And so there's four points I want to make from that scripture. Jesus is the reality where former things are the shadow. Uh, and it, later on in Hebrews, absolutely adore Hebrews, just wonderful pictures of, of what things are like. He says, the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices, make perfect those who draw near. And then also in Hebrews 8, verse 6, we don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And so very clearly he's saying that this, this, this new dispensation that is brought in by Jesus is overarching, superseding, compared to what we have in the old. We have the foundation of the Old Testament, and that helps us in our understanding of the new, but it is superseded by the new. What came before is but a shadow compared to the substance. And a shadow always comes when there is a source of light, but it's, it's, there's something that's blocking the light. And so there's a shadow, but now, as we saw in Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3, he is the radiance of God's glory. He is the light and no longer the shadow. We see the light of Jesus, not just the shadows that we, that we saw before where there wasn't the, the detail and, and all of those things. Now we see it clearly. And so God has spoken to us by his son. Even our revelation of God as father is only because of Jesus the son. Uh, he came to us personally. God came to us in person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we want to talk in person, he has come. He has come as Jesus, and he has spoken in person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Uh, So in Colossians 2, verse 17, again, it says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come, talking about the festivals and the Sabbaths and all of these things. The reality is found in Christ. And so we know all of those shadows, they are but shadows, unclear, vague, sometimes not, uh, not clear, and even giving the opposite picture of what we think it is. They all are pointing to the true source of that light, the true reality, and that is Jesus. I skipped a little bit ahead. God comes to us in person through Christ. Uh, And so he communicated through the prophets, through the patriarchs. He communicated something with people through what he said and what he did. Now he communicates as himself. 
as himself, he communicates with us. Not through someone else, as himself in person. He communicates his self by being himself and Jesus. I know I'm saying this in a whole lot of ways, but for me, every single one of these gave me a bit of, a bit of extra of how incredible it is that we have the full picture of Jesus, the full picture of God in Jesus. Um, and it's not through this way or that way or these words or this picture or that anything. It's through Jesus Christ himself. The prophets spoke about someone other than themselves. But God himself speaks about himself. Jesus is what the Father has to say to us. And he doesn't just say what the Father says. He is what the Father has to say to us. And because of this, he is the definitive revelation of God. There is no revelation of God that can surpass what we see in Jesus. In Colossians 2 verse 19, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells. All the fullness, all the fullness of the deity dwells. Incredible. And so, number three, Christ is the radiance of God's glory. Christ is the radiance of God's glory. Uh, and so, as I said in the past, it was unclear. There were these puzzle pieces that weren't fitting together. Uh, and now we have that full revelation. And like I said, where the shadow is, there's something between us and the light. Now we are exposed to the full radiance of God's glory. We are not seeing in shadows anymore. We are seeing clearly. Uh, and again, it's not even part of what God's saying. It's not the main thing about what God is saying. He is the word. As we see in John, he is the word uh, and the total word of God. You can see my, it's not flicking through. <laughs> All right, number four. God reveals the goal and purpose of creation through Jesus Christ. Uh, and so Jesus was the firstborn, the first to fulfill God's purpose in creation. And so that's really important for us. So we say, what is my purpose? And he says, there. <laughs> See, Jesus, that's your purpose. That is your role. This is the purpose of all creation I'm showing you through Jesus Christ. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in Ephesians, it says, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So he's showing us the mysteries. He's revealing the mystery of his will in Christ uh, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The purpose for creation is set forth in Christ and made known to us through Christ. His plan for the fulfillment of time is to unite all things in Jesus in heaven and on earth. And so again in Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the cross, uh, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So what does God look like? God looks like Jesus. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. And that's why he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's really that simple. Um, 
And, uh, and often, even Jesus himself, he claims that, uh, that he is the life of the, of the Old Testament. And, uh, and a little example of this is um, on, the, on the road to Emmaus, uh, where he says, uh, you studied the, the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Sorry, that's not, that's not the road to Emmaus one, but I'll get you there just now. Um, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So even Jesus acknowledges that everything is pointing to him. If you study the scriptures, you will see me. They testify about me. Uh, and if he, says, he says, if you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? And so this painting uh, is by a guy called uh, Caravaggio, um, and uh, he was a little bit controversial in his time. Uh, for the listeners, it's a painting about the uh, revelation of the road to, on the road to Emmaus um, by an artist called Caravaggio, painted in the 17th century. Uh, so the controversial thing was that he depicted, um, uh, depicted them in Italian dress, not in biblical dress. And uh, you can see by the patch on the guy's elbow that uh, they were the, the poor of Italy. And it was very controversial to spend that much time painting poor people in those days. Um, but uh, but I, what I really love about it was it really pictures uh, Jesus. Um, and I, I love this moment where you can see uh, that um, he's breaking the bread uh, and the, the moment of no way on everyone's faces. And so just to go back to, go back to that story, it's in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, and so there's these two guys walking, uh, walking to Emmaus, fancy that, um, and, uh, and they're quite dejected because this, this Messiah that they'd put their hope in got crucified, and no angel swooped in and rescued him, no, no fire consumed the people who crucified him, and this, this, this you know, this, uh, uh, general of the army that they were expecting to swoop in and destroy the Romans because the Romans had been oppressing them. It didn't quite happen the way they expected. And so they're all feeling a bit uh, dejected. And so uh, they're walking on the road and Jesus joins them. And he says, what are you discussing? Uh, and says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know what's happened? <laughs> uh, and he says, what things? And they said, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. It wasn't quite as they expected. And then they say, what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, and they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions, they went to the tomb and found it was as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning, themself, uh, concerning himself. And the point I want to make there is if he'll do it for them, he'll do it for us. He will show us everywhere in the scriptures that points to him and how it points, it points to him. As they approached the village, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. I love how he does that. And then they say, please stay, come and eat with us. And he goes and he eats with them. And then as he breaks bread, and 
that's the moment that's depicted in this, uh, in this picture. As he breaks bread, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? And I just love this moment. You can see these guys going, it's him. It's him. It's really him. And it, it's, you can, I can, it just blew their minds. And I, yeah, I love that moment. And especially where he testifies of all of those scriptures, how they spoke of him. And he'll do it for us too. And so also the transfiguration. All right, so there's this moment, Jesus, three disciples go up onto a mountain, um, and then uh, Jesus was there, he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun, his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, talking with him. And Peter said, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents. We want you all to stay. Come and, come and all be with us. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. He was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that's another moment where we see that emphasis that, that Jesus is the culmination, that, that even Moses and Elijah are there to hear. <laughs> God saying, This is my son. Listen to him. And so Jesus truly is the supreme revelation of God. Not just extra or optional or parallel, he truly is the supreme revelation of God. But which one? <laughs> which one? There's so many pictures of Jesus throughout the Gospels. Um, is it uh, the vulnerable newborn, the healer, the Jesus turning tables, the Jesus raising people from the dead, declaring woe on the Pharisees, foretelling the end times, dining with sinners? Which, which Jesus is it? Uh, if we look at any one of those pictures too long, we focus on any one of it, then we'll miss the main picture. Uh, at which point is Jesus most Christ-like? And I want to propose that that point is at the cross. Jesus on the cross is when he is most Christ-like. There's only one Christ on the cross. It's the moment of his death on the cross that defines and clarifies his character for us. It was the moment that proved his incredible love for each of us, and it was the moment that he absolutely could cry out, it is finished. It surpasses and encompasses all others. It fully represents his agape, self-sacrificial giving love. It, he, becomes, he becomes the opposite of himself on the cross. Paul says he became sin who knew no sin. Not he, he, he became sinful, he became sin itself on the cross. He who was without sin and pure. He becomes his opposite. For God to become his opposite so we could be like him, there's no greater sacrifice. There's nothing greater he could have done. That was his strongest position. Whereas the disciples on the road to Emmaus expected this heavenly army to ride in. That was the heavenly army that came and gave itself up and self-sacrifice. The forces of darkness thought they had won, but they hadn't. And so we can say Jesus is the center and circumference of the Bible, and the cross is the center and circumference of our revelation of Jesus. And the cross is the lens through which God is seen, that is the means of grace by which God is known. 
So how does this tie in with the, old, the, pictures, the uglier pictures of God in the Old Testament? Jesus submitted to the cross, and it was ugly. It was ugly. All of the ugliness of sin, all in one place at one time, he submitted to it out of love for us. He was out of love, happy to appear as a sinful, guilty criminal, naked, bloodied, on the cross. But when we look at that with eyes of faith, we see incredible victory in that moment. He was willing to take on that sinful appearance for a better, a better purpose. And so in the same way, in the Old Testament, he can submit to ugly pictures of himself so that he can bring beauty out of those ugly pictures. He allows himself to be seen in ways that are contrary to his character so that he can draw people to himself and so that he can reveal himself in Jesus. He's not scared of ugliness. He laid down his majesty. He laid down his beauty. He laid down his glory and entered into that horrible stench of sin so that he could reveal his beauty. And it's the same with those pictures of, of God in the Old Testament. And the way I explained this to Amelia, God made us in his image. He made us beautiful. And we sinned and we became ugly. And not only ugly, but we became blind too. Blind to his beauty. And we started to form God in our image. We could no longer see what he was really like because of our sin. And so we started to form him, him in our image, like us, violent, self-centered, capricious, ugly. But God did a beautiful thing. He let us see him as ugly so that we would recognize him. We would have dismissed him otherwise. If Jesus had come then, you wouldn't have, they, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have recognized him. And even now, he's not recognized. It's as if he said, okay, if that's the only God you'll recognize in love, I will wear this mask that you gave me. And slowly but surely, I will peel back the layers to show you who I really am. Reluctantly, because he knew he would be represented, but misrepresented, but lovingly, because he knew that was what was needed. He became all things to all men so that some might be saved. And I know this is a lot to take in. <laughs> I know I've only got three minutes left, but I'm, if, I, if I could have five more minutes, I'd really appreciate it. I'm, I'm really there, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> um, so another story is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And for me, this is just such an incredible example of this, uh, of this thing of viewing things through, through the cross. Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son that was going to be the son of the promise that was supernaturally uh, provided? Um, and uh, what, if, what happened? What if he didn't hear the angel and he had actually sacrificed? Then what? And also it sets a troubling precedent that parents can sacrifice their children because they believe told them, God told them to. <laughs> as tempting, yeah, as tempting as it may be sometimes. And be celebrated for their willingness to do so even centuries later. It does set a troubling, troubling precedent. But with some understanding of the culture of time, we can push through the ugliness and see the, see the beauty behind it. Uh, so remember, Abraham lived long before the law was given. His experience of God was quite simple. He lived in, in what we call the ancient Near East, and there were all these regional gods. Uh, every little region had their own god that they served. Some were kind of overarching gods abo above other gods. Uh, and so one of the more prominent local gods at that time was a god called Molech, um, who was believed to demand that parents sacrifice their firstborn children as a form of worship. Um, and so when God says to him, sacrifice your son, because previously God had said, this is what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, and said, no, you can't do that. That's not consistent with your character. But 
here, he says, go and sacrifice your son, and Abraham doesn't say anything. So, so something in Abraham must still have seen Molech uh, in God or associated them with each other and said, well, that's just what powerful gods do. They just ask you to sacrifice your children because that's, that's just what gods are like. Uh, and so for him, it wasn't surprising that that, that was what he was asked to do. And so, um, so he gets up early the next morning. He starts off. Uh, he goes, and it's quite a journey. He's got to go to this place, build the whole altar, take the, put the wood on top, and it says he binds Isaac, and he lifts, he lifts the knife. And, uh, but before that, Isaac, being the smart boy that he is, he says, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? We've come all this way. And God says, and Abram says, God will provide. He says to the servants, we're just going to worship, but we'll be back. And so he builds the altar, he lifts it up, uh, lifts up the knife, and, and an angel says, Abram, Abram. And he says, here I am. Father of many nations. That's what Abram means. And he says, here I am. He's about to sacrifice his son. But he still answers to the name Father of many nations. the angel says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abram looks up, and there's a ram caught in the bush. So he sacrifices the ram instead. What joy must have filled his heart when he realized that Yahweh was not like Molech. That he truly was Yahweh. The I am. And that that. Yahweh provided the sacrifice that he didn't need to provide the sacrifice. Yahweh himself provided the sacrifice. And how often do we still need that revelation? He provides the sacrifice. He has provided Jesus. And Abram needed this moment to finally rid him of any possible thought that Yahweh was like the other gods. Now he could walk forward with confidence that Yahweh himself provided a son, that he provided a sacrifice, and that he was not like the other gods at all. We could spend many weeks going through the whole Bible and finding each story and, and finding how to read it with that, that cruciform hermeneutic, the cross-shaped lens through which we view the Bible. But I hope that I've just started that journey for you, that you can just start to see something of how we can read those pictures in the Old Testament through the cross. And I do just want to mention that if you are interested in this, I'm not here to, to plug a book, but we can't be here for weeks. If you want to go and do research yourself, uh, there's a really clever guy who wrote this book, uh, two books. One is called Crucifixion of a Warrior God, which is 1,400 pages. I've, absolutely, I've never wept over footnotes so much in my whole life. Um, <laughs> and then he did a smaller version of 250 pages called Cross Vision, uh, where he talks about, uh, goes through all of these pictures of the Old Testament and, and applying a cruciform hermeneutic to them. And, and just so incredible to see what seems like contradictions throughout the Old Testament is actually progress. We see God like that, and God is saying, it's like he's saying, you think I'm like that, but I'm not like that. You think I'm like that, but I'm like this. And he's just, he meets people where they're at, and he takes them one step forward. And he meets people where they're at, and he takes them one step forward. 
the prophets, all the way through. There'll be a day when you'll be turning weapons into plowshares and you'll have a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. But every day, just moving in closer and closer to the revelation that we have in Jesus. And we are so grateful that we get to live in that revelation. We get to live in that incredible revelation that we can enter through the cross. We live on this side of the cross. We can enter into it and live in that incredible revelation of God. Amen.